Hello, podcasters. Mr. Stroud's history class is getting ready to start. Uh, after doing Bowboy and Delion, that was the introductions to the conquistadors. And when I was teaching face-to-face with many of you, I used that sort of like someone going into the water, going into the shallow part, getting used to the water, sampling the water. Now I want to go into the deeper part because the next two conquistadors I'm going to do are what I believe to be much more typical of the conquistadors, although Balboa and uh, De Leon were certainly conquistadors in every sense of the spelling. The one I'm going to do now is a man that was named Herman Cortez. He was the greatest of all conquistadors. Now, podcasters, I'm going to ask you something. Why was he the greatest of all conquistadors? Raise your hand if you think you know. Mimi, have you got an idea why he was the greatest of the conquistadors? Maybe Courtney can help you. I'm sure Debbie knows. Ron Star. I think you're all probably mistaken. Because... I'm going to tell you why he wasn't the greatest before I tell you why he was. He wasn't the conquistador that found the most gold, the most wealth. One we're going to do next, Pizarro is going to find more than he did. He wasn't the first conquistador. We've already done De Leon. We've already done Balboa. He wasn't the last of the conquistadors. He wasn't the nicest conquistador. The nicest conquistador, I'll just throw this in, just kind of remind you the way conquistadors were. The nicest conquistador, according to the conquistadors, was a man by the name of Coronada. And how was Coronada nice? Well, Coronada was going to burn 300 Indians alive for stealing one mule. He was the nicest conquistador. Well, that was the nicest conquistador who was the meanest. And what did he do? Ah, the meanest was considered to be one by the name of Guzman. Guzman? But what did Guzman do? If it was meaner than burning 300 Indians alive for the theft of one mule... Hang on, podcasters. Hang on. A Spaniard apparently said something that Guzman did not like. And so rather than discussing it with him, he just reached into his mouth and pulled the tongue out and nailed it to a fence post. Okay. Which is meaner? Burning 300 Indians alive? or nailing one tongue to a fence post after it had been ripped out of a Spaniard's head. According to the Spaniards, the ripping of the tongue was meaner than the other because, and some of you may have gotten this, it was a fellow Spaniard. So Cortez was not the first, nor was he the last, nor did he find the most wealth, nor was he the meanest, and he was not the nicest. What's left?
this is what's left. How much gold did Dillion bring back? It's probably the amount of gold that you have in your pocket or your purse. None. How much gold did Balboa bring back? The same amount. But when Cortez does what he's going to do, there is not a number that I can think of that would tell you how much gold that that man's going to find. And this is why he was the greatest of all conquistadors. He was the first conquistador. Now listen to me. The first conquistador to find a large amount of gold the first to find a large amount of gold, and that spurred on other expeditions, most of which we won't even talk about. And so if you go back in time, and you're in a cantina in Mexico, and a conquistador walks in, and a conquistador sitting there drinking with his beer buddy, points to the conquistador that just came in and said, there is the greatest of all conquistadors. And he will be talking about Cortez. How did he do this? Now, podcasters, much of history is unbelievable. A gentleman once wrote a novel about Abraham Lincoln. And some of it was fact, and some of it was fiction. And the interviewer asked him, how are we going to tell the fact from the fiction? What was true and what wasn't true? Because you just put it in the narrative. And after thinking for a split second, Court of Laval said, if it makes perfect sense and easy, explainable, and it's logical in every way, shape, and form. It's fiction. I made it up. But it's unbelievable. Could not be done. It was true. That's Cortez. So we're going to get started on Cortez. That may take two podcasts because when I did this face-to-face, it took about two 50-minute class periods. Of course, I took a few moments to call the roll where I mispronounced names in English but got it perfectly correct in East Texanese. So here we go with Cortez. He shows up in Cuba, which was the springboard of the conquistadors. That's where Balboa left from. That's where other conquistadors are going to leave. It's the springboard. And what are they looking for? Even with Columbus, and of course I told you I'm not going to do Columbus's four voyage. I'm just not. You can do them if you want to. He not only was looking for Asia, he was looking for Japan. He was looking for China. And we finally realized that this continent that he bumped into wasn't there had to be a strait, a way to get through. The conquistadors are doing that. They're looking for the strait to get to Asia. Now remember the world they're looking at, podcasters. Remember when I told you about Columbus, you do away with the Pacific Ocean. 
North and South America, and then you round it, and that's where they think they are. Except there's this continent. But the main thing they're looking for is gold, G-O-L-D. That's how they're going to make their wealth. That's how they're going to do it. And so, as Cortez comes to Cuba, waiting to get an expedition, and I want to remind you, if I've not already told you, I want to tell you, the government did not sponsor these conquistadors. They had to come up with the money themselves. And the way many of them joined an expedition was you bought your way onto the expedition. You help offset the price. But Cortez came to Cuba. He was about 32, 33 years of age at this time. And when he was in Cuba, he became a farmer, doing something, waiting for an expedition. And he did some things that were completely unusual for Spaniards in those days. One, are you ready? He treated his Indian slaves humanely. He treated his slaves, which were Indians, humanely. And he practiced crop rotation. Crop rotation. Think of the Dust Bowl of the 1930s. And here's the one that is amazing. He's 32 years of age. We'll just settle on that, okay? 32 years of age. It's 1519. And everyone that knew Cortez said he acted like a teenager. He just never grew up. He never grew up. What do you do in 1519 to act like a teenager? Because that's what he did. But podcasters, he was also what people call a ladies' man. Now, Spaniards did not bring Spanish girls to Cuba. And one day, a ship pulled into the harbor, and there is a boat with the passengers coming ashore in Havana. And the Spaniards could not believe what they saw. Three of those people in that boat were Spanish ladies, a mother and two daughters, all podcasters. The Spanish men ran down to the edge of that dock and they said, marry me, marry me, marry me, marry me, you three, marry us, podcasters. Cortez married one of the daughters and dated the other two. Can you imagine what the other Spaniards thought of him? He was a ladies' man. And one of the Spaniards there at Cuba that wanted to date at least one of those Spanish girls was none other than the governor. Now, in those days, the governor could easily have taken care of Cortez. Come up with something, call it treason, cut his head off. But what he wanted to do was have a date with one of those 
girls. One evening, apparently while the Spanish governor was sitting in his office, someone came in. We don't know who it was, but someone came in. And he asked the governor a question that he knew the answer to. It's rhetorical. Wouldn't you like to date one of those Spanish girls? They're so beautiful. Oh, he said, you know I would. But then there's that Cortez. He then asked the governor, is there an expedition? Well, yes, he said, there is an expedition. Well, who's the commander of the expedition? Well, let's put it in modern talk. Uh, the names that were suggested to command the expedition the governor was getting ready to send out to look for gold, the long list and the short list, Cortez was on neither of those lists. And that person looked at the governor and said, do you want to date one of those girls? You name Cortez as the commander of that expedition and you get him out of here. Yes, he became the commander of that expedition. Cortez. Cortez. People. Podcasters. The moment that Cortez became the commander of that expedition, he changed instantly. Like Superman coming out of the phone booth. As soon as he was main commander, he changed from a Spaniard that was 32 years of age and acted like a teenager to a commander in every way, shape, and form. It was instantaneously. Now, if, notice probably if, if, you were a Spaniard. That is one of the most fortunate things that ever happened in the history of Spain and America, if you were a Spaniard. If you were an Indian, it's the opposite. He became the commander in every way, shape, and form. But where's his expedition going? Well, not long before this, and the motivation for this expedition was a other, another expedition that went to the Yucatan to try to capture Indians for slaves because the Indians were dying. In slavery, they died off quickly. And some Spaniards landed at the Yucatan, and they were attacked by Indians. Hand to hand, life or death. And those Spaniards barely made it back to their boat and they got out of there and they saved themselves. And when they got back on their ship, they did something that I do not think is normal. Instead of saying, thank God we lived, we got out of there. They didn't do that. One Spaniard said to another, did you see that Indian they was trying to cut my head off with that axe. Did you see that? Did you see that necklace he had around his neck? 
It was so close to my eyes, I saw it perfectly. It looked like it was at least 24 karat gold. And listen to this, fellow conquistador. Beautifully decorated. And that's not all. The axe that he was trying to bury into my head, it too had inlays of gold and silver. And the other Spaniard said, I know the one that was choking me. He too had a necklace that was just the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen. And on his head, oh, and my gosh, the crowns and the podcasters. This isn't normal. The analogy that I would use is you call 911 and they get there and they say, what happened? Well, I got mugged. A, a person came into my house and he pointed a gun right between my eyes and he said, I want your wallet and everything that's in it. Mm. Oh my gosh. And I gave him that wallet. But you know, officer, that's one of the most beautiful guns I ever saw. It was nickel plated. It looked to be factory engraved and I believe the grips were carved ivory. Carved ivory. This isn't normal. But these were conquistadors. That's where the expedition Cortez is going to lead is going. They're going to the Yucatan to get that gold. Now, how many people is Cortez going to have? He's going to have approximately 450 conquistadors. Did I tell you not long ago that what I'm going to tell you is impossible to believe because it is history? 450 conquistadors. And he would defeat an Aztec army of approximately, okay, podcasters, hang on, 100,000. I'm going to say that again. With 450 conquistadors, he would defeat an army of Aztec that are 450,000. Oh, podcasters, you're probably saying, Bronze Star, you're probably saying, I, Aztec, were they sissies? Oh, no, no, they were not sissies. They had conquered all of the Indians that were within a few hundred miles. They had conquered all of them. There were no Indians in the area of Mexico that were tougher than the Aztec. Cortez would do it with 450. How is that possible? Textbooks. Read in your textbook. If you're in class, read in your textbook. And it would tell you because I read some of those textbooks. Oh, your textbook would tell you. Oh, you see. You see students reading this textbook. The reason Cortez was able to defeat so many Indians is, oh, here we go, here we go. Johnny, can you come up with a reason? Todd, I bet you know. The conquistadors had guns. Read the textbook. They had guns. I guess when students read that, they say, well, yeah, duh, guns. Podcasters, we're not talking about 
Now, this is going to date me. We're not talking about M60 machine guns or M14s. We're talking about matchlocks. A matchlock was fired, ignited because of a rope that went through the hammer that was very long and you lit the end of that rope and when you got ready to fire it, you would then take that, that rope that was burning on one end that you had stuck through that hammer and you pull the trigger and it went into the flash pan would hit the powder. Matchlocks had a failure to fire. Failure to fire. That's where you had it loaded properly. The match was lit. It hit the gunpowder. The gunpowder in the pan went off. That was called the flash in the pan. But no bullet came out. 30% of the time. Had a 30% failure to fire. And if you did, these things were so heavy, you had to put a stand in front of you and rest that long matchlock on that stand, pull that trigger, and you got one shot. Then you had to reload it, which took you probably about three or four minutes. How many Indians did I just tell you there were that Cortez is going up against? Now, that has all types of drawbacks. When do you light the match? That's what that rope was called, the match. What if it's raining? 30% failure to fire. Everything goes right. You have one shot. And how many Indians did I tell you they were going to go up against? All matchlocks were all right. But they weren't M60 machine guns either. And besides that, okay, if you have five witnesses to an accident, you're going to have five different stories. How many matchlocks do they have? I'm going to just give you a number, okay? This is in the ballpark. About 20. 20. Oh, oh. I see someone else. I have that hand up. Okay, Debbie. Horses. They had horses. And the Indians were terrified of the horses. At first they were. At first they were. They thought the horses were monsters. Because see, podcast is the horse is not native to the New World. The Spaniards are going to bring them. And when they first saw them, they think the rider and the horse are all one monster. Podcasters. There will be a battle that I will tell you about where the Indians were terrified of horses, but I will tell you this. When Cortez and his expedition got into Mexico City, which they then called Tenochtitlan, the Aztec had lost all fear of the horse. And I will prove it to you. The horses... The horses were important. They were terrifying at first. But that's not the reason. That is not the reason. I'm going to tell you the reason. I'm going to tell you the best weapon that the conquistadors had, and every one of them had it. You ready? 
sword. Each conquistador had a sword. A sword? A sword, a Toledo steel. The Aztec weapons were made of bronze. Those Toledo steel swords would cut heads right off of an Aztec in one swipe. They could literally cut them in half. The Aztec had nothing like those swords of Toledo steel. But here's something else. And I will tell you this, that when I was teaching face-to-face -face with many of you, I hope I emphasize this. You put the best weapon in the hands of a sissy that will not fight. And what good is that weapon? Because I have read and I've heard people explain how we won World War II and they say things like the Big Inch Pipeline. Oh my gosh, they say things like the, the factories, the factories, dissimilar. But you know what they seldom ever name? That 18-year-old GI that's terrified on that beach. You take that sword of Toledo Steel and you put that in the hand of a conquistador and you got the most terrifying weapon that these Indians are going to see in their life. 450 of the toughest people you have ever heard of. How in the world are they going to do it? 450, still only 450. They're going to leave in 1519. I believe it was February of 1519. And they're going to sail first to the Yucatan. That's where the expedition that came back told that they had found the Indians with the gold. They land at the Yucatan, they're coming ashore in what we Marines call a little amphibious landing. The little rowboats bringing the conquistadors. You gotta have several trips back and forth. We call those waves. And while some of them were landing, they saw someone in a canoe paddling toward them, waving his arms in the air. It was an Indian. They got those matchlocks, and they're just about ready to kill that Indian. And that Indian did something that was just unbelievable in fluent Spanish. He yelled, I'm going to quote him, I am a Christian. Now, when he said, I am a Christian, he did not mean he was an Indian that had been baptized. What he meant was, I may look like an Indian. I may paddle like an Indian, but I'm Spanish. His name was Aguila. Aguila. He had been on an expedition a few years before. And here's something else, podcasters. If you get on the inner tube and you look up Conquistador Expeditions, you're going to see a bunch of them. Those are only the ones that came back. Those are the ones that had something to report. Many never came back. 
Aguila was on an expedition that just never came back. And when the Spaniards got him aboard the ship, he told them he'd been captured. And several times he'd almost been to evening meal, but just lucked out. And he was glad that he could now say that he had been rescued. Now, podcasters, Guerrero is going to be an important individual because he knows Spanish fluently and he knows the dialect of those Indians. He knows their language. So now they start landing. And after they had landed, one of the conquistadors came to Cortez and said that there was a village not far from where they were. And so Cortez takes most of the expedition down toward that village while sending some horsemen out above the hills, up on the hills, to reconnaissance, on a reconnaissance. And he went into that village, and got, I'm going to tell you something, podcasters. When I was a young infantry marine in Vietnam, we would go into those Vietnamese villages. And if there were no Vietnamese in that village, because they were still in their huts, and yet you saw the fires, that meant the VC were there. These conquistadors walked through that village and they could see that cooking fires were still cooking pots of food. And no one was there. And then they came over into the center of that little village and they saw an altar. And they saw one Indian. And this Indian had long hair that was matted with dried human blood. Now I'm going to tell you what that Indian was. They say these Indians practice human sacrifice. Well, practice, look that word up. Practice makes what? They got it down to perfection. And among these Indians, the ones that cut the hearts out, was never to wash nor cut his hair. So he had long hair that was caked with human blood, and Cortez put two and two together, and Courtney did not like what that added up to. So he grabbed that Indian. He had a conquistador give him what we call a GI haircut. And then they brought him back to Cortez. And Cortez, in perfect Spanish, which this Indian could not understand a word of, told him, You see that over there? We have built you a cross. And you and your people are to dance around that cross, and you are to keep it clean, and you are going to pray to this God. And if you don't do that, I'm going to come back and kill every one of you. I will kill you all. And then he looked at some of the conquistadors that were looking at him, and he asked them, is there any conquistador here that says I cannot do what I just did? Because if there is, you raise your hand and I will kill you. I will kill you. Well, what's a conquistador going to say? Uh, sir, I believe we're guests in this land, yeah. No, Cortez. The conquistadors were walking, talking missionaries. And then one of the horsemen that came back on that reconnaissance tour to Cortez... There's several thousand Indians on the other side of that hill, and they look like they're a little bit angry. Cortez has got his blood up. 
So he told his men, if you got a horse, get on one, and if you don't, you come with me. And they went. They come up on that hill. They look down at a couple of thousand Indians. Podcasters, I was not there. But from what I've read, I think I can tell you what those Indians were talking about. Some of those Indians had just come from that village. And they ran out of that village when they saw these conquistadors. And the other Indians had not been in that village for a while. They did not see those conquistadors. And they probably asked them, what are you doing on here? Aren't you supposed to be cooking my meal? Aren't you supposed to be cooking a lunch? And the other Indian would say, lunch? Lunch? I'm going to tell you why we're not cooking lunch. Monsters have landed. What? Monsters? Oh, podcaster, if you're with someone, you turn to that person and you describe a horse with a rider and the horse has armor. Yes, armor. And the rider has armor. And you've never seen one of these things in your life. Now, you tell this other person who's never seen one what that looks like. And when the other person does not know what you're trying to describe, all of a sudden up on that hill are those horsemen, 21 of them. And one of those Indians said, if you don't believe me, you just look up on that hill. And they looked up there, and I know in whatever language those Indians talk, they said, O-M-G, it is true. And Cortez said, Charles. And here come those monsters, those four-legged monsters that have two heads. And you know, they had some fast-running Indians. And the fastest of those Indians was no match for four-legged horse. And so while the Indians were running as terrified as anything you've ever thought of, those conquistadors are shooting them with those matchlocks. The infantry's cutting them in half with those swords. It was a slaughter. It was a slaughter. They killed hundreds of them. One conquistador got wounded. Wasn't much of a wound. So like Forrest Gump, something reached up and bit me. Something reached up and bit me. And they went out and they found a dead Indian and they cut off his belly and they roasted it in, in a pan and they got the grease and told the wounded conquistador to apply that grease and he would be okay. The next day, those Indians that had run in fear came back. And you could look at them and you could tell they're not coming back to fight have you ever heard podcasters and always saying, if you can't fight them, join them? If you can't beat them, join them? They came back making signs of peace. Here's something Cortez did. I hear that in the Marine Corps now, they have another saying, one that we did not have when I was in. No better friend no worst enemy. Cortez forgave and forgot. He let them make up 
and those Indians came back. And if you want to get on the good side of a person or a conquistador, give them a present. And these Indians came back bearing gifts. And the gifts they were bearing was singular. 21, 21 was a gift for Cortez. 21 young, beautiful girls. 21 young, beautiful girls. Cortez was a good commander. One of the things that I did not tell you, because I ran out of time, we was talking about the Kiowa, we are talking about the Comanche, that when they returned from a war party, all of the spoils belonged to the war leader. But no war leader would keep everything for himself. He'd never get another war party. So he would distribute all of the spoils of war to the other. Cortez had 21 young ladies. And he kept them all for himself, which he could have done. Well, you know what the others would have said. Apparently, he had 20 officers besides himself. Officers have privileges that enlisted men do not have. R-H-I-P, podcaster, rank, excuse me, R-H-I-P, rank has its privileges. Rank has its privileges. He gave each officer one of those young girls, but he kept one for himself. And you know how they could talk. He kept the prettiest one for himself. Well, he could have kept them all. The one he kept for himself was about 19, 18 years of age. Her name was Malinchi. But as they did with all of those girls, they baptized them and gave them Christian names. And the Christian name given Malinchi was Donna Marina. Donna Marina. Now, podcasters. Name the Indian girl with Lewis and Clark. Go down and get that dollar. Sacagawea. Donna Marina will be the Sacagawea of the Cortez expedition. But listen to this, podcasters. They're going to leave Yucatan. And they're going to come and land at a place in Mexico that Cortez is going to name. And the name he gives it is that place to this day. He names it Veracruz. He names it Veracruz. And not long after being at Veracruz, hundreds of Indians come in. They're not coming to fight him. They are bearing gifts. No girls. But I'm going to tell you what they are bringing. They're bringing gold, podcasters. G-O-L-D. Gold necklaces. They were wearing headdresses that had gold. If you get on the internet, I bet you can find one of these that still somehow survived and is in the museum in Mexico. 
and they walked up to as many conquistadors as they could and they put gold necklaces around their necks. And not only were they doing that, but they are rolling, rolling in two wheels. The old textbook said the Indian did not know about the wheel. Well, it's correct that they knew about the wheel. They just didn't have any way to make it into anything useful because they had no domestic animals like a horse. They found little alligators that boys and girls used to play with that had little wheels on them so you could chase each other around with those little alligators. But these were two gigantic wheels. How large were they? Cortez kept excellent records as the Spanish did. And they were the size of large wagon wheels. One was solid silver, one was solid gold, and were, of course, beautifully decorated. And they laid them at the feet of Cortez. They put gold necklaces around the neck of Cortez. How are you going to talk to them? Okay, I want to tell you this one time and remember it, podcaster. Donna Marina knew the Aztec language because when she was a little girl, the Aztec had given her to the Indians that she had been raised with and learned that language, which were the Indians that gave her to Cortez. So how many languages does she know? Those two. She could speak to the Aztec and then put it, translate it into the language that Aguilar knows. Aguilar takes it from that language and translates it to the Spanish that Cortez knows. That's how they're going to communicate. And you know what the Aztec told the Spaniards? Stay here and leave. Stay here a night and you leave. But what you're not going to do is you're not going to come to Tenochtitlan. You're not coming to Tenochtitlan. Cortez lied. He told them, using the translation that I just told you, I have been sent by my king to come and see your king and to tell him about Christianity. And those Indians said again, you are not to come anywhere near Tenochtitlan. And then they left. Cortez is going to go to Zanotzlin. That's where the gold is. So now he's going to take off. In the Mexican War, the U.S. Army lands at Veracruz and takes the same route that Cortez is going to take. Now here's where the textbooks are wrong, people. They will tell you that there were Indians that were the enemy of the Aztec because what the Aztec did was when they conquered these Indians, they imposed taxes upon them. But not taxes like we love to pay. You don't write a check for them. Can't wait till April the 15th. Oh, you're giggly happy to write down that check. Our ass, here it comes. Those Indians would have been glad to pay taxes like that. They paid taxes in humans to be sacrificed. 
the Aztec imposed those taxes upon these Indians. And I will tell you in a little while about the sacrifice of the humans by the Aztec, and you better keep those humans coming. Have you ever heard the enemy of my enemy is my friend? That's what some of the textbooks would tell you. That's what some of the internet stuff would tell you. But I'm going to tell you something. The enemy, my enemy, does not look anything like us. My enemy and me look the same. These people here, people, whatever they are, they came out to kill Cortez. Now I'm going to tell you one time, and every time I tell you about an Indian battle with the conquistadors, I want you to remember what I'm going to tell you now. All right. One of the Indian armies that came out to defeat Cortez and his 450 conquistadors numbered approximately... You ready? 20,000. Cortez would defeat them. How does he do that? This way. When I was in the classroom, I could draw it up on the board. And when you draw it, Courtney, I want you to draw it for Mimi. I want you to make it where you got the front and you put about, let's say, 50 warriors there and you stretch those lines down. Thousands. A 50 warrior front. I bet some of you podcasters were in the bands. High school, Kilgore College, wherever. You look at the number of bands, men and women on the front. That was the fighting formation of these Indians. And these were the same as I've been told of the Roman legions. That was the formations that the Indians used. So here we go, podcasters. That Indian army of thousands come out and you got maybe 50 warriors across the front? A hundred warriors across the front? And you know who they're looking at? Conquistadors. So the only Indians that the conquistadors had to worry about were those Indians that were trying to kill them at that moment. You go about five or six, eight Indians back they might as well be twirling their thumbs. They're not going to hurt a conquistador. So the only ones you got to worry about are those right in front of you. And guess who's going to win that one? Now, the way the conquistadors did it, again, I hate to bring up my Marine Corps days, but if you see a film of infantrymen moving down a road or down a street, they're not just walking any way you want to. You got platoons, and each platoon has squads, and each squad has fire teams. They're in formation, podcasters. These conquistadors were like that. They were in formations that they trained with, they lived with, they ate with, and this is the way they're going to do it. When those Indians came up on that front, the first thing that's going to happen are those matchlocks are going to fire. Boom! 
Virginia's never seen anything like that. You got that many Indians and you fire that matchlock, which is not that is not very accurate. You can hit somebody. And then while those people are gone down, you step back and you start reloading that matchlock. They also had crossbows. And then the crossbowman comes up and he fires. Oh my gosh, podcasters. They didn't fire arrows, they fired bolts. You fire your bolt at them. And there goes some more. Then you step back to reload that crossbow. And there are the swordsmen. And they just kept rotating. And then the matchlocks came up, crossbowmen came up, infantry came, and podcasters, they would fight for eight to ten hours at a time. I'm going to tell you, okay, I'm going to tell you, I played high school football, okay? Henderson. I played offense and defense. In those days, you started on offense, you played both of them. You played both of them. And I watch pro bowls, pro football, as I know you do, and you see, oh, in the fourth quarter, that defense is getting tired. I heard, and I know some of you know, that in an hour-long professional football game, the amount of action is like 18 minutes. I'm going to say again how long these conquistadors fought. Eight hours, ten hours. And they were in formation and would not let the Indians flank them. Well, are the Indians trying to hurt? Oh, yes, they are. The conquistador has on a helmet. He's got on a chest plate. He's got on armor protecting his legs. But some of them is exposed. And they get nicked with arrows, with swords, and they continue fighting. Now, here it is, podcaster. If you were in that Indian army, do you think that the best warriors you have are going to be at the front or are they going to be at the rear? The first team will be first. So as those conquistadors defeated and killed those Indians, they're killing the best warriors those Indians have. And then the next rank, and then the next rank, and there you are 45 ranks back, and you see that the best warriors you've got are being slaughtered by these monsters. After a while, podcast, they just can't take it. And they're gone with the wind. And one of these armies, they sat around and they tried to figure out why those monsters were so powerful and so mean and such good fighters. And one of the brain trusts came up with the answer. We fought them during the day and the sun was burning bright. That's right. These monsters get their energy from the rays of the sun. Oh, we're on to something now, podcaster. If they get their energy from the rays of the sun, let's fight them tonight. Thousands of warriors are trying to tippy-toe up on these conquistadors. It cannot be done. And so the conquistadors defeated them again. And so what they're forced with is this. If we cannot defeat them during the day, and we cannot defeat them during the night, can we defeat them? No. If you can't whoop them, they join them. 
And so now, Cortez's army has about 50,000 Indian allies. Now, books will tell you this, but what they will not tell you is how Cortez got those Indians on their side. By the time he got up to Tenochtitlan, he's up on the hills overlooking it. You can look this up on the internet. You can see a drawing or a painting of Tenochtitlan. Cortez said that Tenochtitlan was a city on a lagoon, a giant lagoon. And the way you got to that city were these causeways, which we would call bridges, long bridges, not draw bridges, though, and I'll tell you what they did. And Cortez said that Tenochtitlan was larger in area than the city of London, England. And how many people were in it? They estimated maybe one million. The army? The Aztec will have in that city? 500,000. This is larger than Tatum. This is larger than Hallsville. That's Tenochtitlan. Cortez left his Indian allies there, and he and the conquistadors go moving down, going across one of those bridges. Cortez is a military leader, and as he's on that bridge, he noticed they weren't drawbridges. They're too long for that. You couldn't have gotten those bridges up like a drawbridge, but they had sections. That's the word I'm going to use. They had sections that you could pull that section up. You could unplug it. And that section that was unplugged was so long that no human could get across it. And Cortez had someone measure those for him just to put back and remember. Also, being a military man, he knew that if they were attacked, if they were attacked by those Indians now, they weren't in formation. He gets in. And there are Indians lined up on each side of the street. And the analogy that I use, you go downtown Kilgore, you go downtown Henderson, you go downtown Overton, and you see people lined up on each side of the street. They brought the lawn chairs with them. And it happens to be December. What do you think is about to happen? Can you say Christmas parade? They were lined up like that. Thousands and thousands of Aztec. Cortez rolled his horse into the center of them. And then he stopped. And all of his conquistadors stopped. And as those Indians looked at him, he did something. Podcasters, he dismounted. He got off of his horse and held it by the reins. And this proves that the Aztec, if ever they were afraid of a horse, they were no longer afraid of him. Because as long as the Indian was afraid of that horse, Cortez told those men to stay on that horse 24-7. 
what probably happened if they had any fear of it is they saw a dead one they put two and two together and it added up to five or six and got no fear of that horse now and those Indians on each side of that street looked as if they were waiting on something and after a little bit they saw who it was the leader of the Aztec himself coming down with his entourage and that man's name was Montezuma can you sing the Marines hymn from the halls of what Montezuma I was told when I was young that the Indians could not grow mustaches, they didn't have beards, they thought the Spaniards were gods because they had beards. Remember on the introduction to the Mr. Stroud's history class I told you about BS, Bachelor of Science degrees? Montezuma had a beard. A goatee that Cortez said was neatly trimmed. Now the Spaniards had beards. But I'm going to tell you something, podcasters. You ready? Montezuma never for one split second thought that Cortez or his Spaniards were gods. Not one split second. The closest he came, because Cortez kept talking about this king that maybe the king was a god but it certainly wasn't that Spaniard looking at him my podcasters I have been told and maybe you have too that if you want to remain friends with someone there are two subjects you're not supposed to talk about can you name them raise your hand now raise the other hand because there's two of them Raise both hands. Unless you're driving. You're driving, leave both hands on the steering wheel. You understand? What are those subjects? Never discuss politics and religion. You discuss movies, but don't discuss politics and religion. And guess what Cortez started doing? He started telling his religion. Using his translators, he told Montezuma, I have come to tell you about our God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And Montezuma said to him, You are rude. You are rude. We are happy with our gods. Why do you come to me and tell me about your gods? I didn't even ask about your gods. And so Cares Torres, okay, don't talk about religion, don't talk about politics. For reasons that I cannot explain, and I've never seen explained, Montezuma will be taken with Cortez. i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you have the palace that my father had. You can have anything you want. You just go to that palace. And they went over there. And Aztec would come to those conquistadors and they would say, is there anything you want? And those conquistadors would say things like, uh, what's since you ask? Have you got any gold? 
We'd like to have a little gold. Yes, we've got gold. And they bring them gold. You got any more? I bet that's all you got. I bet you don't have any more gold. That's, oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Podcasters? The Spaniards and Cortez kept excellent records, but these records have been lost. Or oh, we know how much gold was brought. Those conquistadors are where they want to be. They got so much gold, oh, it's unbelievable. And then a conquistador comes in and tells Cortez something. A expedition of Spaniards have landed at Veracruz. And the orders are to arrest you for treason. They've been sent by the governor. And so what Cortez does is this. About half of his conquistadors, he leaves into Nostal, and the other half he takes back. He knows what route they're going to take. He sets an ambush. And then one day, the Spanish expedition coming to arrest Cortez walked into that ambush, and those matchlocks and those crossbows fired, and the conquistadors went down, killed and wounded by conquistadors, and the commander of the expedition got a big bullet right through his right through his mouth. And in the gunpowder, the smoke that was rising, there appeared Cortez, and he said to them, I'm going to give you a choice. And while he was saying, I'm going to give you a choice, Conquistadors would hand out little party favors of gold. You can stay loyal to the governor, and I will kill you in the next ambush. So you can join me and be richer than your wildest dreams. So podcasters, here's your choice. You can be dead and broke or alive and rich. How long does it take before you decide which way you want to go? They join Cortez. He now has the most conquistadors he's going to ever have, nearly a thousand. As they're moving back to Notchland, Bad news from Tenochtitlan. Those conquistadors that you left back at Tenochtitlan, one day they were walking through the city of, and they saw humans being sacrificed. And they lost it. And they attacked them. And they slaughtered them by the hundreds. And now those Aztecs are mad and they got us trapped in the palace. What are you going to do? Cortez takes his conquistadors and he slips back in town. Now how do you do it? You got a city larger than the city of London. Somehow he gets his conquistadors back in that palace. Why don't the Aztecs just rush up those palace steps and kill these conquistadors? But that's all fine. You put down the numbers. But you know what? In an army, the only number that's important is you. Which one wants to be first? When I was teaching, I would say that in a little skirmish, there were light, light casualties. Light casualties. If you're one of those casualties, that's as heavy as it gets. 
Meanwhile, Montezuma had been captured by the conquistadors. He'd been arrested, had been brought over, and I guess he just walked over there with them. And he was now with the conquistadors as a captive. And Cortez comes back and he tells Montezuma, you get out there and you stand out there on that ledge and you tell your Aztec to leave us alone. Montezuma had been taken with these men. Not long before this, the podcasters, if you got a small child in there, I want you to, I want you to cover their ears and whistle a happy tune. Some of the conquistadors had raped some of their women. And those conquistadors that had been raped were killed. And Montezuma found out what Aztec that killed those conquistadors had them burned alive in the center of, of the town. You don't touch a Spaniard. You leave these conquistadors alone. No wonder he went over with Cortez under house arrest, palace arrest. And so he walked out there on that balcony and he told those Aztec, you leave these Spaniards alone. And Aztec threw a spear and killed Montezuma. Now, okay, I'm going to tell you, I taught eighth graders for a while. Every now and then there'd be a little fight. Send them to the principal. Principal say what happened, and each one would point the other one. He started it. He started it. He started it. He hit me first. The Aztec to this day would tell you that Montezuma was killed by the Spaniards, and the Spaniards would this day would tell you Montezuma was killed by his own people. Think about it, podcasters. And I think the evidence is in. The jury will come in with a guilty to the Aztec. Now they have no leader. But there's still a whole bunch of them. And so Cortez tells them, his Spaniards, his conquistadors, get all the gold that you can carry, and we're going to try to tippy-toe out of this town. And they start going off on one of these bridges. And the Indians, the Aztecs, found out about it, and they charged them from the back. Remember the Indian allies that Cortez had left outside Tenochtitlan? Who's winning now? Listen to this, podcasters. The Aztecs are attacking the conquistadors from the rear, and in the front, the Indians that were on their side are attacking them. They're being attacked from the front and the back. You can't fight when you got a handful of gold in a sack. And they got sacks in both hands. So they had to make a decision. What do you do with these sacks of gold? Apparently they were optimistic. They threw those sacks over the bridges into that water. Thinking they come back, but some of those conquistadors, it's unbelievable. How do you let go of a fortune in gold in that sack? And they went down with them. Remember, I hope I got across how tough these conquistadors are. They defeat those Indians. They defeat them. 
they get outside of Tenochtitlan. And how many casualties do they have? Half of their force had been killed. And so now Cortez is down to about the original number he started with, about 450 conquistadors. They go back to Veracruz. It's like halftime. See Super Bowl 51? Cortez has been defeated. If the Indians ever once thought they were a god, they know they're not because they've killed conquistadors. They've lost their leader, Montezuma. And Cortez has been driven out of Mexico City, out of Tenochtitlan. And some of his men tell him, you gave it a good try, let's go back to Cuba. And Cortez says no. We're not going back. Podcasters, you ever heard of burning your bridges? Just to make sure they don't go back. Cortez had the ships burned. Nobody is leaving. Nobody is leaving. He told them, we're going back. And we're going to win this time. We're going to win this time. He motivated them. Remember the Indians that were on his side that he had already defeated once? He defeats them again. He defeats them again. And they show up outside Tenochtitlan with an army of Indians allied to him, maybe 100,000. And this is what he's going to do. How many bridges there were? We're going to just, let's just say four bridges. He divides his conquistadors up and assigns a bridge to each one of the sections. Four sections uses the conquistadors at the tip of the spear. They always were the conquistadors at the front and the Indian allies were behind them. And they go across that bridge and the Indians, the Aztec comes out. The Aztec comes out. And they fight them on those bridges. Now this battle for Tenochtitlan is going to take, this battle for Tenochtitlan is going to take over six months. Over six months of fighting. Virtually every day. They take a little bit of the city. They burn it to keep the... Indians from getting on top of the buildings and stuff. They move ahead. The Indians would move in behind them. It's going to be bloody. And as those conquistadors are fighting, the Indians are sacrificing. And the way they're sacrificing is this. Okay, if you got if you got little ones, send them out. Have them cover their ears and think of a happy tune. I'm going to tell you this one time. Okay, this is what the conquistador saw that made him go crazy when they were walking through town. They got pyramids down there. And if you went to one of these sacrifices, you wanted to go to early enough that you were near where the sacrifice was going to be. And they bring up an Aztec or a prisoner of war or someone you got through taxes. 
and quicker than one I could tell you. They put that person, man or woman, on their back, and then using a knife with an obsidian blade that's very wide about the middle of that, and I mean practice like you would not believe, they come down just below the chest, pull that blade up, take the other hand, I'm assuming they were right-handed, take the left hand, reach in under the chest and pull the heart out and show it to the Indians that were up there at the front row. You want to get on the front row and he would squeeze that heart and he would throw blood all over them. And then he would turn and put that heart in a flame and they would throw that Indian off that they had just cut the heart out of and those Indians started eating them. You know how many people they would sacrifice that way? Hundreds. Hundreds. And there were sacrificed temples all through this city that was larger than the city of London, England. While the battle is going on, they're sacrificing in the back. And when they would capture a Spaniard, and someone say after the little firefight, did anybody see? Oh, I don't know. Well, all of a sudden they hear a scream. And then that Spaniard's head would come flying over. Podcasters, this is a bloody, bloody, bloody battle. Six months of fighting. I'm going to tell you something, podcasters. Aztec could kill them all without any trouble. They had poison. They could dip their arrows into that poison and a nick a nick would have killed the conquistadors and they didn't do it why did they do it you don't poison what you're going to eat now these Aztec must have been very optimistic because after six months of fighting and they're losing territory they're losing warriors by the hundreds and the hundreds and the hundreds I guess the cheerleaders are still yelling, push them back, push them back, way back, push them back. After six months, there were only a few of them left. And Cortez knew that the next day they would finish this battle for Tenochtitlan. So he told his Indian allies, once the battle is over, do not kill the non-combatants. And I'm sure the Indian allies looked at him when the battle was over, they started slaughtering the Aztec. Can you imagine the gold that Cortez is going to have? Can you try to come up with a number of how many were killed? How much gold he's going to get? All that was recorded for those who had been lost. But podcasters, it was a fortune. It was a fortune. Now, just to finish Cortez up, remember that beautiful girl, Donna Marina? They had a child. They had a child. And when that little boy was born, he became what is considered to be the first of the Mexicans. 
the first of the Mexicans. They named him Martin Cortez. What about Cortez's Spanish wife? She came over after he had defeated the Aztec and had been named governor of Mexico. And one night they were at a dinner and she left early after getting on to Cortez about something and Cortez went came back a little later and told the dinner guest that his wife had smothered to death one more thing podcasters then we're going to call it a class I know you got places to go you got things to do Cortez was governor for a little while, but he wanted to be viceroy, viceroy of all of New Spain. They named it New Spain. And he thought if he could get an audience with the king, he could talk the king into making him viceroy. And so he goes back to Spain. And one day, the king and his royal coach is coming down the street, and the thongs of Spaniards are on each side just like a Christmas parade. And the coach stopped. And Cortez was very near the coach. And he yelled something at the Spanish king. And the king pulled the little curtain back. And he looked out and he looked right at Cortez. And then he closed the curtain. And he heard the king say, Who is that? And Cortez said, I am the conquistador that gave you more wealth than all the others in your kingdom. And the king said, apparently, drive on. And the coach left. I'm going to tell you why I told you that, podcasters. A few more history classes down the road. I'm going to tell you about a Frenchman. I'm going to tell you about a Frenchman going to see a Spanish king. It's like Cortez wanted to see this Spanish king. And there's going to be a different story there. But I'm going to remind you of Cortez when I tell you about that Frenchman. That's how Cortez became the greatest of all conquistadors. That's enough for today. And the next one we're going to do will be the last conquistador Pizarro, and I'm sure you remember Pizarro, where have I heard that name before? He was the one that cut the head off of Balboa. Have a good day, podcasters.